So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this is on page 1,134 and the Bible's provided in the chairs. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized in the Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples, and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people, Judge for yourself what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices... Participate in the altar? Do I mean then that a sacrifice offered to the idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than He? Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Father, we are so grateful for your grace, for how you work in our lives. 
Father, we are thankful for your people Israel, whom you called and displayed your grace and power in. Father, we pray that you'll give us discernment, that you'll guide us into your truth, and that your truth would continue to transform our hearts and minds ever closer to you. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. This last Tuesday, Cammie was with all her people, and the gathering from those in Squim and Whidbey Island, they all converged on Warm Beach Christian Camp. And uh, I was not able to be with them this time, but at this Warm Beach Christian Camp, there is this massive Christmas light display. Millions of bulbs and singers and all these activities. And you can go there, and they went there this dark and rainy night. And there were, I think they estimated, two million people crammed in the smallest of spaces. And everyone's eyes were up looking at the beauty of the lights. And here was Cammie and her sister and her brother and them. And between them, they all had... Seven children. Needless to say, they made it about 20 minutes in until this refrain became the common chorus of the group. Where's Joshua? Where's Joshua? Joshua is Michelle's four-year-old. Where's Joshua? Well, for the next 35 minutes. It's a long time to be missing a child. They broke up into groups and they went searching for Joshua. And it literally, it's one of these situations where you turn around and every direction, all you can see is a sea of people. And it's dark and rainy. And the best Michelle, she could find one of the workers there. They had all these different workers with walkie-talkies. So she got one of them and she said, and Cammie's father is there and she says, well, He's, he's about this tall, and he's wearing a raincoat and boots. And Cammie's father just hung his head. As within the distance, he could count 30 kids that all fit that description. So for him, it was hopeless. In his mind, he told me he was already trying to see how the family was going to make it going forward without Joshua. To him, this was an utter lost cause. But still, they searched, and they searched, and searched. And finally, Michelle turned the corner and she saw this family. But there was something strange about this family. There was this, this husband and wife and they had their kids. But there's this kid that the mother was holding the hand of that she kind of recognized. And she ran up and got down and it was Joshua. And the lady said, oh, are you his mother? And she said, yes. And she grabbed Joshua and that. Oh, finally reunited after 35 minutes of searching. And finally, they calmed down in that, and they said to Joshua, they said, well, did you ever tell him your name? And he looked up at her and said, no. And she says, well, why not? And he said, you always told me, don't talk to strangers. Oh. 
So finally, they were gathered together, the family was together, and they could enjoy the rest of the time. But here's this situation where he was lost. They are seeking and searching, and no matter what they did, they his name from him. And it was this difficult situation. 1 Corinthians 10 is all about a people who have an identity. They are God's people, but they become very lost. Again and again and again, they are lost. They become lost to uh, idolatry. They become lost to their own sinful desires of their flesh. They become lost to seeking after the false gods of the people around them. They keep stumbling and becoming lost. And we see the consequences of that again and again and again. And the Apostle Paul is using this as a reminder. He's trying to teach Christians, those who believe in Jesus Christ, this key thing. If you're in Christ, you are God's child, and you are to remember who you are at all times. And whenever you face a temptation or a struggle or a difficulty, you are to remember this. I have been saved because of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus Christ died and rose again, I too have died to my old self and I'm raised to new life in Jesus Christ. That's the key thing you have to remember. Every temptation we face, every struggle, every conflict, every pain, every obstacle we face, when we start to get discouraged, when we start to forget, when we find ourselves starting to wander ever further from God, what are we to remember? I, you can say your name, I, Jacob Meadows, have died with Christ and I'm raised with him. And that's what we stand on. That's what we stand firm on. And that's how we are able to keep going step after step in God's grace as he works the miracle of our new life in our lives. So as we look through this passage, we see that the Apostle Paul here is trying to remind the church of this through warning after warning after warning. What were the earliest warnings you received as a child? For me, don't touch the stove. I don't know if you ever had that one in the kitchen. Don't touch the stove. Lots of warnings, lots of warnings. I grew up near a creek, and the water could be very swift moving. And some of my youngest memories was my grandfather taking me by hand over there and pointing in this fast-moving water. And I still see his face to the day. Don't get in the creek. He'd bring me to the edge. He says, you see the creek? I said, yes. Don't get in the creek. Still to the day. My grandmother loved to cook. She was always in the kitchen. She said, don't touch the stove. Remember these warnings again and again. Well, the Apostle Paul is taking us through these key moments of the people of Israel Warning after warning after warning. Does it seem like the entire Old Testament, God's people were jumping in the creek and they were touching the stove again and again? And we see the consequence of this. 
So if you go back to your passage of Scripture, you open up 1 Corinthians 10, we're going to see this process and how God is drawing us and teaching us to be mindful of the warnings. Mindful of the warnings. So the first point I'm looking at is the blessings of grace to Israel freed from Egyptian slavery. So remember, God comes and he frees his people from Egyptian slavery. He frees them in a way that shows this is all due to his power. The people of Israel could not free themselves. They were completely helpless and enslaved by Egypt. So God sends Moses and he performs these miracles to free his people. And then you see this section of scripture in verses 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 where, he ta- where God takes a people, he frees them, and he shows that they are under his grace throughout the entire time. In verse 1, it says, all the people were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Remember how God went with the people during the day as a pillar of cloud and during the night as a pillar of fire. So they all passed under God's protective grace and God's leading. All God's people. And then we see where the Red Sea parts and all God's people pass through the Red Sea walking on dry ground. God displaying that they are saved completely by His grace and His power alone. Completely God's work. And in this, in verse 2, it talks about this where all God's people were baptized into Moses and baptized into the cloud and into the sea, meaning they all received these promises of the covenant and they are all under God's protective grace in that time. And then verses 3 through 4, it says, they all ate the same spiritual food. You may remember the manna in the wilderness. And they all drank the same spiritual drink. The spiritual rock that followed them. Now, this is one of my favorite moments because in 1 Corinthians 10, you see where the Apostle Paul, he holds to this rabbinic tradition. There is a rabbinic tradition during the time where Paul is in Jerusalem and studying the scriptures, and it was this. Remember the rock that they had Moses strike and the water would come out? Well, this rabbinic tradition was that rock rolled, that it actually followed them, and that Moses would strike that rock and water would come out of it. And that's why we see here where it says this, that verses 3 through 4, They all drank from the same spiritual rock that followed them. And who was the rock? The rock was Christ. This is the pre-incarnate Christ in the image of this rock. So literally, when Moses struck the rock and water came pouring out, that was literally Jesus Christ manifesting in that way that literally they drank from Christ. So you see the pointing ahead to communion when we are called to drink of Christ's blood and eat of his flesh. We see where they drank from the rock, the grace of God providing water from the very rock. They all received this. 
All these people were drawn out, were given God's promises, were kept in His grace, yet, here's the powerful, powerful pivot in the text. Verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Why were they overthrown in the wilderness? Because we saw that so many of them had no faith. That's the key thing. We looked at this before. Hebrews makes this clear. How do you please God? It is through faith. Remember, it's consistent through Scripture. We are not saved by works. There's nothing we can do to earn God's pleasure. There's nothing we can do to earn God's salvation. Yet how we do please God is by faith and faith alone. We are saved by faith, by God's grace alone. And it's by putting our trust, our hope, our faith, our belief in Jesus Christ. And God is pleased by that. And that's how we have salvation. But do we see here in verse 5 that so many did not please God because so many did not have faith. We see the consequences of this in Numbers 14. Numbers 14, starting at verse 29. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. This is God speaking to the people of Israel. And of all your number, listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb and Joshua. But your little ones, whom you said would become a prey, because they were afraid of the nations, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. Psalm 106 does a beautiful job of going through that entire section of Exodus and summarizing what took place there in the hearts of the people of Israel. Psalm 106, starting at verse 9, it speaks of God. God rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry, and He led them through the deep as through a desert. So He saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed His words and they sang His praise. Things went well for Israel when they, number one, remembered who God is. Remembered what God did for them. And they sang His praise. This all hinges on how good your memory is. Not just the memory of your mind, but the memory of your heart. The memory of your heart. Do you remember how good God is and what God has done for you? And out of your heart, does that remembrance produce praise and glory for God alone? That's the process here. But what happened? We see verse 12 of Psalm 109. Then they believed His words. They sang His praise. Verse 13, here's some of the saddest words in all the Scripture. But they soon forgot. That's the moment. 
That's the moment throughout Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. When you see that word come into the Scripture, it's grab something. Because that's when everything's going to break loose. In the Scriptures, when you see the word forgot, that would be as if you late at night are awakened to the piercing cry of a fire alarm. Or that's when you're going along and you hear someone shout out help. When you see in the scriptures the word they forgot. It's all hands on deck because this is disaster. So we see that here, verse 13. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. So you forget God and you say, I'm going to take care of this myself in my strength, according to my wisdom, according to my desires. (laughs) This is a disaster. This is a disaster. Verse 14, but they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked. Dangerous moment. But sent a wasting disease among them. There are two moments in Scripture that should shake us. The first one is when you see God's people forget God. And they go about things according to their own way and their own desire and their own flesh rather than God. And then the second moment that shakes us is when it says in the Scriptures that God then gives them over to their desires. We see that most graphically in Romans 1 and 2. When God hands you over to your own desires... That, again, should be a piercing alarm for us. So we see where the Apostle Paul is showing through the stumblings and failings of the people Israel all the ways that we, even though we've been saved by God's grace, even though we have died with Christ, and that's the symbolism of baptism, is when you are baptized, you die. You you are buried in the waters of baptism. So that when you are raised up. You have a new life in Christ. 1 Corinthians 10 is written to believers, to the saved, to God's people. And what he's doing here is using these warnings of what happened to Israel to wake us up, to be an alarm sounding to keep us ever focused and vigilant. It's very important. I run nearly the same course around Island Lake. I, have, I know the roads. I, I can close my eyes during this run now. And just by my paces, I would know where I was. I could open and I'd know the house I'd be passing. That's how much I have this course memorized. But early this morning, I went out And I was not running on the front of my feet as I should. A little complacent. And I was just going along and I hit the ice. 
And the next thing I knew, I wasn't running on my feet. I was running on my back. That's much harder to do. You, you got to be aware of your surroundings and aware of the dangers and walk carefully. That's what Romans 10 is doing. And that's what he's building us up to. The central verse of this entire chapter, the central verse of warning is this. A humble watching, watchfulness. We see the blessings laid out in verses 1 through 4. And then in verses 5 through 10, we see the consequences of evil desires. The consequences of when God's people forget God. And they go about their life not according to God, but according to themselves. Or according to the pressures around them. Or according to the temptations of their flesh. And we see the dangers that take place. As I said, verse 5 was the pivot. And now it says here in verse 6, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Don't stumble and fall as Israel did. Don't get tripped up over the obstacles that they got tripped up with. And then we see a series. And again, in the outline there on the in the bulletin i have all the different scripture references where these little moments take you to verse 7 do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play verse 7 well that takes you to exodus 32 where moses happened to be gone for a long time And the people gave up on Moses. And they gave up on that God who had freed them and saved them from Egypt. And they said, let us make a God. And say, this is the God that saved us. And that's when they made the golden calf. And as soon as they make a God in their own image, according to their own desires, what does that produce? Immorality. We see the direct link to idolatry and immorality. As soon as you make God according to how you want God to be, according to your desires, that God will then free you to live according to your flesh. If you make God, then God frees you to sin. That's why we cannot be idolaters. That's the whole purpose. We don't make God. No, God made us and we learn who god is through the scriptures through the revelation of his word and his strength so we see the warning there in seven don't go the way idolatry and then verse eight we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and twenty-three thousand fell in a single day we go from numbers exodus and now we go to numbers the Apostle Paul takes us. Numbers 25. And here we see the temptation where they went after the daughters of Moab. And not only do they after, go after these daughters of the pagan nations around them, but then they started worshiping the false gods. They started worshiping the false ways and going into immorality. And God warns them. And there's this moment in this text of Numbers 25 that is so sobering 
25, verse 1, While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to go after the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And God first told the elders of of each of the groups to go around and start taking the lives of those who are under them as judgment. And we see this breaking out and these people being slain, God bringing about his judgment. And it wasn't until Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, went and put a swift end to one immoral coupling with a spear. And as soon as that was done, God relents and he lifts up Phineas and says, because you were that zealous to stand for truth and put an end to this immorality, God lifts up Phineas's name. This is a powerful text. Paul's going through these, these moments of the most grievous air of Israel and using them as a warning for the church. Don't do the same thing. Don't forsake God. Don't fall into immorality. Don't turn away from the truth of scriptures and go after your own way. We see see the power of these warnings. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. We see where this takes us to Numbers 21. And that's where the people grumbled. Here's where the people of Israel grumbled against God. They said, we are tired of eating the food you've given to us. That's what it says in Numbers 21. Starting at verse 5, it says this. We loathe this worthless food. That was the statement that the people of God gave to God in the wilderness at this moment, we are tired of what you have provided. We want something better than what you have given us. Oh. And what happened? Verse 6, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And it wasn't until the people started crying out to Moses. Finally, they cried out and said, Moses, we've sinned against you and we've sinned against God. And Moses prayed and the Lord said this, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten, if they will look to that when they see it, shall live. So here again, in a moment of the greatest disrespect and dishonoring of God amongst God's people where they've turned away from them, God provides a way out. God provides a way of salvation. And here we see where it is a serpent lifted on the pole. The whole point of this is where we are to look to the cross lifted up with Jesus Christ hanging on it, knowing that though we are broken and dead in our immorality and sin, if we look to the cross, if we believe in Jesus, we will be saved and have life and forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
as Paul keeps lifting up these examples to the Old Testament, in verse 9 and 12, this is, this is the main thesis of this entire chapter. Verse 11 here. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And then here it is, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. For the Christian, there is no opportunity for complacency. No complacency. No complacency. I've told a few stories before where I worked at the paper mill in Port Angeles. And I remember they, they, they gave that warning every day there is this sign, do not let complacency be your end. It was literally a sign someone had made up so that you would see that as you're going in and go up because what would happen is you get so comfortable working along around the machines at times you're hanging over this or there's all these nips and all these points and you get so comfortable you're 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 inserting this hose in with a tip to blow away loose paper and if you just got a little too close you're pulled in or you're over the rollers and that and you're reaching in to to get the paper star and this and that if you are just reaching a little too far there it goes Everything they warned against was the complacency of you getting too comfortable. And it took a tenth of a second. And you're dragged into the machine. They were so vigilant about that. This is the chapter in Scripture where the Apostle Paul has the big sign up. Don't let complacency be your end. This is where he's building us up for the church in Corinth and for us today and for every believer. We have to understand that we everything that is given to us of salvation and life is by God's grace and a gift for him. God will preserve us and keep us. We have eternal life. And a part of that preserving us are these warnings to wake us up and keep us alert, and keep us focused, because every moment of every day is a battle. As Ephesians 2 says, we are constantly in the battle against the devil, against the world, and against our, all, our own fallen flesh. So there isn't a moment of the day that doesn't go by where we are not called to remember who God is, remember God's love, Remember God's grace and remember who we are in Jesus Christ. And that's again the statement of grace in verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to men. Who is faithful? God is faithful. That's there it is. We will stumble, we will fall, we will slip up, we will become complacent. At times we will forget God. At times we will say, I'm going to do this in my power, in my strength, in my way. 
And once we find ourselves flat on our faces or on our backs, like me this morning, when we come to our senses, we realize who's been faithful the whole time? God is faithful. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There's the grace. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I do not have to think back far, whether it be yesterday or this last last week, when due to my selfishness or my pride or my forgetting of God or seeking to do things in my way, I found myself laying on the ground, bitten by the serpent, feeling myself on the edge of death. And it was only that I remembered the cross of Jesus Christ and Him hanging on the cross and my eyes and my heart and my faith were redirected toward that. That I lived. I had life. Because of God's grace. So that's just my hope and encouragement for each and every one of us as we enter this new year. No matter what the conflict or difficulty is in the marriage or in the family or in the workplace, no matter what the temptation or struggle or sin that you you keep battling against and and you think, oh, I've finally gotten over this sin and then the very next week you stumble in it again or whatever the trial and temptation you're facing learn from the people of israel learn from first corinthians 10 don't let complacency be your end but know that even while you are stumbling because of forgetfulness the cross is there Jesus Christ died so that those who would believe in him would have forgiveness and life. And not only did he die, but he didn't remain dead. He's alive. The tomb is empty and he's at the right hand of God and Christ is coming back. So I just encourage you. Don't forget that. Remember it and remind each other of that. Every single day. It is God's grace and His faithfulness that we are utterly dependent on. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we are humbled by Your Word, by Your Scriptures. Father, as we see the many ways where Israel fell to temptation and forgetfulness of you and and seeking after the desires of their fallen flesh rather than your will and your holiness. Father, we are humbled because we confess to you those areas in our life where we continue to forget you or, or grumble and seek our own desires rather than your will. Father, we pray for forgiveness. 
We thank you for your grace, how you continue to work in our lives to draw us ever closer to you. Father, I pray that you'll just guide us, help us to remember, help us to take heed how we stand, and help us to remember that even in the throes of the most difficult temptation or pain or obstacle, you have graciously provided the way of escape. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.